and uh, thank you for the opportunity to come again and uh, uh, serve our Lord together as we um, consider His Word. Tonight, our Bible reading in 1 Thessalonians, and it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And just as you're turning that up, uh, can I uh, pass on the best wishes, the greetings from the Scottish Baptist Lay Preachers Association, and also from two churches, from Harper in Glasgow and from Perth. Um, we're still in Harper, but uh, my wife and myself just moved recently to Perthshire, so worshipping in Perth Baptist. So both churches pass on their greetings to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to read the, the full chapter. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, in our prayers. We continually remember our God and faith, your labor prompted by and your endurance by the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers, loved by God that He has chosen because our gospel came to you not simply with words, You know how we lived among you. In spite of the severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Amen, and we trust that the Lord will um, bless us as we consider this wonderful passage together. You know, when you're invited to, to speak, you know, I keep thinking one of my early jobs as a youngster was as a paper boy carrying the news, and in many respects, that's what we're doing when we come to these times, to carry the news, to carry the message of what Christ is asking to be conveyed. Because really, as someone who um, preaches, and I, I don't preach nearly as often as Ross, um, it, I, I do find from the invitation to the time when you know the passage that you have to speak on, you do a lot of searching. So tonight, the passage that I need to bring to you is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And it's to a lively church. 
It's a church. It's not a letter where Paul is rebuking the congregation, the fellowship. It's one where he's encouraging, and it's one that he is very concerned for. I wonder, um, when you were younger, um, way before there were any electronic games, um, possibly talking to the ones that are a similar age to myself, some of the games that you used to play. One of the games that um, we used to play, not very often, but just occasionally was if there were a group of us, we would get together and we would stand and point at something. Now, it was something fictitious up in the sky, but we were there and we were making a noise and we were showing enthusiasm. And we really what we were trying to do was to try the adults that were round about to see what we were looking at, and we were looking at nothing. And it was really a bit of a wind-up, a wee bit of a handed camera as it used to be. It's one of the games, you know, I had a, <clears throat> maybe a spoilt childhood. Um, but it was really just to try and uh, have a bit of fun at some adult's expense. But we were pointing, we were showing something. We were doing it just for a while. It's a simple illustration, but um, I don't know if it's one that would particularly work today because there aren't nearly so many tenements around and uh, um, folks are just that busy with their lives. Some time ago, my wife, uh, Sandra, she's sitting there, myself, we were down in the borders. And we were down um, not long after we got married. And we were involved in a in the borders, and it really was a very small church, one of the smallest churches um, in the town. Small for years, for a long, long time. But over years, it grew from about a dozen people to well over a hundred. There was a buzz about the place because men and women, boys and girls, were being saved. And it, it was the talk of the state, it was the talk of the town. And folks to see what was going on, what was happening in probably the smallest and least significant church. But uh, there was attraction, and that attraction, especially when some of the local troublemakers and one of the more prominent local poachers, especially when the procurator Frisco was in the church himself. But because of this attraction, this is really what we see that we read in Thessalonians. They were a new fellowship, but they had an attraction to others by what they were doing and what was going on. Now, please don't misunderstand. There were lots of difficulties. They were facing difficulties. They were facing persecution. But despite this, they were a growing fellowship. Now, just a wee bit of background just to, to help Thessalonica was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia, and it roughly had a population of three times the size of Airdrie, so it had about 120,000 people. Now, it was a center of trade, and today it's the second city in Greece, second city after Athens. Now, if you care to find out how it was evangelized, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 17, it was during the second, his second missionary visit, a missionary journey, 
and he was with Silas and Timothy went to work in Thessalonica and that's where the work started. Now there were a sizable number of Jews in Thessalonica for they had a synagogue as we read and Paul preached there on three successive Sabbaths. And when he was preaching, what he was doing was he was using the Old Testament to show how the expected Messiah had to die and be raised from the dead. And then he also taught how Jesus um, came about his life and about his death and his resurrection. And then he put together for the Jews and he was telling them that this was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus was the Messiah that they should be looking for. Now it's recorded that some of the Thessalonians were convinced and joined them, as well as a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Now this implies that Paul probably stayed there for a wee bit longer than the three weeks. But it wasn't long after that opposition arose and some Jews recruited a mob of thugs and they started a riot in the town. They couldn't find Paul and Silas, but they dragged Jason, who was the owner of the house that they were staying in, and they dragged him before the magistrates and they serious allegations. In Acts 17, verse 6 to 9, reads, These men who have caused trouble all over the world now come to you welcome them into his house. And they're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and the others on bail and let them go. I'm going to take my jacket off, it's a bit warm. So that night, under cover of darkness, Paul and Silas were smuggled out of the city. And they went south to a place called Berea, but the troublesome Jews followed them there, so Paul then moved on to Athens. But Paul was concerned for these new churches, and he was concerned that he sent Silas back, we think, to Philippi, it's not conclusive, and Timothy to Thessalonica. And when Timothy came back, having visited Thessalonica, um, Paul had actually moved on to Corinth. And what he heard, the report back from uh, Timothy, he was really thankful and he was full of joy and relief because what he heard was that um, these Christians were going on in the faith. They had some questions and this is one of the reasons why he wrote the letter to the Thessalonian church. But if you read the full letter, you'll see that it is a very touching letter, and it's a very intimate letter because Paul was very concerned for these early church people. Now, interestingly, in every chapter, if you read through 1 Thessalonians, you will see that 
Paul mentions in his letter that about Christ coming again. He was giving them some assurance that Christ, who rose from the dead, will come again. And maybe in two weeks' time, I'd like to maybe give us a bit more thought on this. But he was really reinforcing this message to this very young church. He was helping the new church by sharing very sound teaching, and that teaching is just as helpful to us in the 21st century. So, let's look at the passage that we read together. Firstly, verses 1 to 4. Now, we know that Paul is the writer of the letter, but he's writing on behalf of himself, also Silas and Timothy, because this was the group that evangelized Thessalonica, and it's natural for Paul to write on behalf of them all, but it also shows that they were all in full agreement with what was being written in the letter. So, Paul opens the letter and says to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as believers, we enjoy a very special relationship with God the Father in Christ Jesus. It's an undeserved union that we have with the Father and the Son. We find security there, and we find safety from spiritual harm. As well as the term, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul frequently uses in Christ, in Him, in the Lord. And these expressions mean that they and we are in very close, very intimate relationship with Christ our Lord. As Christians, we are living in or functioning in Christ Jesus. Folks of Airdrie and around as a church fellowship, you're located here in Airdrie. You are a living church of God. For the life of the church demonstrates the life of Christ Jesus in His body of believers. You could say that any church has two habitats, one a physical location and the other a divine one in God. And this is an important point that Paul is making to the Thessalonians to help them understand the persecution that they were facing as a church. As a body of believers in a sinful world, and yet they are fully in Him. The letter goes on to say, grace and peace to you. Grace, meaning God's free, undeserved favor that He gives so generously to every one of us. And peace, not just the absence of conflict, but it has an ordered harmony, both spiritually and physically, a special contentment when our trust is soundly resting on Him. Hay fever or sufferer. Excuse me. In the passage we read, Paul refers to the church and the gospel. In verses 1 to 4, he begins by describing the church of God, which the gospel of Christ Jesus brought into being. Then in verses 5 to 10, he talks about the spread of the gospel by 
the church of God. Now, John Stott, uh, I'm a great reader of John Stott. John Stott describes it as the gospel creates the church, which spreads the gospel, which creates more churches, which in turn spreads the gospel further ad infinitum. And that's God's plan for the ongoing evangelism through local churches. The gospel creates a church, which spreads the gospel, which creates more churches, which in turn spreads the gospel further. Now, the church in Thessalonica was not big. It was maybe a group of believers who met in a few homes. It was probably smaller than the number that we have here this evening. It was only months old. Its members were newly born Christians, freshly con converted from Judaism or paganism, and their new convictions and their moral standards had been acquired from the teachings of Scripture as given by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But for all that they were new, they were being sorely tested by their persecution. Now, you would have expected this very new group of believers um, to be very shaky, but that wasn't the case. In fact, Paul had confidence in the church there because it was the real, authentic gospel of Christ Jesus that the church was built on. Paul begins his letter with the thanksgiving for the Thessalonians' faith, love, and hope. Paul thanks God that the Thessalonians are evidencing the essential marks of a Christian life, faith, love, and hope. And it also shows that Paul's own love and concern for these new friends, for he says that, as we read, that he remembers them before God, and in so doing, he's really giving some encouragement, as we too are encouraged as someone says that they're praying, they're concerned for us, and that they're praying for us. So, faith, love, and hope. And Paul teaches this same message in Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, and Ephesians 4. One of the issues that Paul is trying to address that has been raised by Timothy um, as a real concern is that some of the folks were dying before the return of Christ Jesus. And what Paul was doing to address this was he was underlining the hope and the certainty that we have in Christ in our current time, as well in all the times to come is reinforcing that certainty. For our faith is directed to God, our love towards each other, both inside and outside the body of believers, the fellowship, and our hope towards the future certainty that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Forgive me for quoting John Stott again, but John Stott says, faith rests on the past, love works in the present, and hope looks to the future. 
every Christian without exception is a believer, a lover, and a hoper. Every Christian is a believer, a lover, and a hoper. Our new life in Him draws us away from the sinful introversion of our lives that we had before we knew Christ to lives that are drawn up in faith towards others in love and towards eternity in hope. You'll also see in this passage work, deeds, and endurance. And these are the practical outworkings of conversion. The work that the Thessalonians do is a result of their faith. So too their labor flows from their love, and their endurance comes from the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Paul unites the love of God with the election of God, the choosing of His people. Now, this can cause some difficulty, but He chose us because He loves us. And He doesn't love us because we're nice or lovable or something. He loves us because He is love. Despite who we are, He has a generosity of love towards us. Paul, Silas, and Timothy say in verse 5 that through the Holy Spirit they were given power as he preached the truth of the Word of God. And verse 3 tells us that the new believers produced this faith, love, and hope, evidence of the, Holy, the work of the Holy, Holy Spirit. And Paul is able to reassure them of their calling and election, the surety of it. Paul is also saying that the church of God is a living community loved and chosen by God, rooted in God, and living in His strength, showing our life in Him through our faith which works. A love which labors or in doing deeds, and a hope that endures throughout our earthly, earthly life. Now, what makes Paul's vision of the church is its God-centeredness. And this is in marked contrast today when, mistakenly, many people regard the church as an outdated institution. Paul recognizes that the church is a divine family of redeemed sinners living in Christ Jesus. We are the living church of Christ. They and we are different people to who we were before, with Christ living in us, His precious Spirit with us and in us. And we really have so much to be thankful for. Then we come to verse 5 to 10, the spread of the gospel. So, Paul moves from God's church to God's gospel because one goes with the other. 
and it's by the gospel that the church exists, and by the church the gospel spreads. Each depends on the other, and each serves the other. So, in verses 5 to 10, Paul outlines three clear phrases of the progress of the gospel in Thessalonica. Verse 5, our gospel came to you. Verse 6, you welcomed the message with joy. Verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you. The gospel came to you, you received it, and you passed it on. And that's God's purpose for the people of His church throughout the world then and now. Verse 5, we brought the, new, the good news. Before Paul, Silas, and Timothy arrived in Thessalonica, there was no church. When they left, there was a church. How did it happen? Well, the planting of the church was achieved through preaching, yes, but look and see what the verse tells us. It was with words, with power, with full assurance, and the Holy Spirit. The gospel is a message given in words, the words of God, the Word of God. Words build up to sentences, sentences to a message, and we can communicate one with the other. And the gospel has specific content, whether in preaching or private discussion or witnessing, we need to care about the words that we're using to convey the truth of Christ our Lord. But it comes with power. Our words aren't enough, important as they are, for they can be misunderstood or disregarded. Words spoken in human weakness need to be confirmed by divine power. And it's only by His power that the Word can penetrate people's minds, hearts, conscience, and will. And in the letter to the Corinthians, it tells us that the Word of God is a spirit sword. The Spirit without the Word is weaponless, and the Word without the Spirit is powerless. It comes with deep conviction. There was a confidence when Paul was preaching the gospel message, for he knew it was true. He was sure of its relevance, and he was bold in sharing to whoever would listen. You know, we've got much to learn from these early preachers, to preach with full courage and conviction. And it comes with the Holy Spirit. It's an integral part of these previous points, for without the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we lack commitment. And it's also He who carries the message home to the hearers in truth with saving power and conviction. And our lives are incomplete without Christ as our Savior and Lord, and He is the one who exposes the lack in our lives when we don't have Christ Jesus. Oh, that we today were sharing the gospel message with His precious words, with divine power, in full assurance, and with the power of His Holy Spirit in order that we could be used so much to save others. Let's not lose one other point at the end of that verse, for it says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. 
This was further proof of the truth of the message that they were carrying. The genuineness of the gospel was being reinforced, as it always should be, by the evident integrity of the preachers, teachers, and witnesses. And again, that's something we need to consider. Verse 6 and 7, you welcomed the message with joy. Paul, having described how the gospel message was shared, now turns to how it was received by the Thessalonians. It was received in the midst of severe suffering. There had been considerable opposition to the gospel, and it must have been very bad when Paul and Silas had to slip away at night so they wouldn't be seen. And it was also bad if Jason and the others were dragged up in front of the magistrates. Now, we don't know the form of the opposition beyond that, but we do know, despite the opposition, that they received the gospel message with great joy. Stop for a minute and just think of this. So, despite what the persecution brought, the gospel brought them greater joy. The gospel was what they wanted, despite the opposition. They received joy from the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who gave power to those who preached the gospel gave joy to those who received it. It's not surprising to read of the joy, for joy, as we know, is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Where the gospel is preached and it's received, the people receive it, there is joy. There's joy in heaven, and there's joy amongst believers. The Thessalonians became imitators. You imitated both us and the Lord. They followed the teaching of the Word of God, and they followed the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and of the Lord. So, that means the words spoken by Paul and the others had to be matched by their actions. The new believers in Thessalonica had to leave aside their old ways and walk in the ways of Paul as Paul walked in the way of Christ Jesus. Now, the big question for us is, is our walk today one where we could be like Paul and encourage others to imitate us as we imitate Paul and as we imitate our Lord. Indeed, the next point is, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia and Achaia were the two Greek provinces of the Roman Empire, one north of the northern part of Greece and the other one southern Greece. The new believers stood out, and they were noticeably different they were the 2B model for all Greek Christians, for, the for their walk with the Lord was so special. They became a model for others. So, if, they, if Paul and the others were marked by truth, by conviction and power, these early believers were marked by their joy, their courage in the face of the persecution, and their obedience. When I was preparing this, I was just thinking about some models, uh, you know, in terms of this 
today. Unfortunately, we don't hear all of the news. You know, we tend to get things that are politically correct in our news. But um, you remember back about 2004 and uh, Darfur, and there's still problems going on. There was a peace treaty signed in 2010, but uh, there's still fighting going on in Darfur, and it's Muslims fighting Muslims and Muslims fighting tribes that are non-Muslim, but of an Arab nature. And, um, you know, there are Christians who have been going to dig wells. Now, in that area, in a big chunk of Africa, digging wells, are, it's the lowest of the low that does this. But as these people are fighting, there are Christians who have been going in to look after these people, to provide them with some means of support, some basic health requirements. Also in the same area, um, the, uh, the UN and the Arab Union, sorry, the African Union have put in peacekeeping troops, I think there's about 20,000 of them, to try and keep the peace in the area. Now, the leading country um, who's serving there is Nigeria. Many of the Nigerian soldiers are Christians. They have lots of free time, and there's nothing for them to do. So, what have the Nigerian Christian soldiers started to do? They've started to build churches. Now, they're not big, but small churches they've built, and they're worshiping, and they're actually witnessing to these people who are in a desperate way in Darfur. And there are many people turning to the Lord because what they're seeing is something that's not causing them one Muslim fighting against the other. They're finding the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I mentioned them, but equally, model Christians that stand out can be the person that takes a bowl of soup to someone who is unwell. Picking up the phone and calling someone who is in a position of need. Some deeds of kindness. Taking someone, maybe giving them a lift to the doctors. There are a whole range of things, and I'm sure you are well aware of local situations. And I just gave you a couple there of instances, but it's really model Christians that are standing out. And folks, let's face it, in this day and age, there is nothing more than this nation needs than model Christians that are standing out today and standing out for Christ Jesus. Verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from, uh, from you. Now, here's another lesson for us all. Because we live in times where media is so important. We've got so many different means of communicating, and social media is so important. And as Christians, we need to embrace what we can in order to share the gospel message. But there is something in this passage that uh, is captivating, and it's still available for us today. It's simple, it doesn't require electronics, and it's usually spontaneous and it could be called holy gossip, the sharing of important life-saving information one with the other. When I took early retirement uh, and went back to college, Cornhill in Glasgow, 
Each morning as the students met, as they were getting together, you would get a cup of coffee first thing um, as you were starting, as folk were coming in. But one would be telling the other about, you know, a special offer that's on or something they, in the metro that morning. They're offering a Starbucks coffee for a pound until 10 o'clock or take this voucher and you'll get 20% off Fraser's or um, next or go to McDonald's and they've got a special at lunchtime, one ninety nine special meal deal. It was shared one with the other within the college and that's what we're being asked to do here, we're being asked to share the gospel in exactly the same way. And that's what they were doing in Thessalonica and throughout Greece. It was spontaneous, and they were sharing the good news of Jesus. What was the message they were sharing? Verse 8 to 10 tells us, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has been known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what happened when we visited you. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. See the points that were wholly gossiped? Verse 9, they turned to God from idols, verse 9, to serve the living and true God, verse 10, you're looking forward to the coming of His Son who was raised from the dead. Now, you may feel a wee bit disconnected when we uh, talk about idols because they were, they were inanim inanimate objects, usually covered with an outer coating of costly metal or precious stones. But today we still have idols, and idols that demand our time, and they take part of our lives that really should be God's. Sometimes it's selfish ambition for power or position, fame or fortune. Others may be obsessed by sport, work, TV, film, music stars, addicted to food, alcohol, drugs, sex. And the path, this letter goes on to talk about uh, greed and immorality um, as forms of idolatry as well. All these things demand our time and our attention, and we give them a place in our lives that should only be filled by God alone. For these things are passing, they're transient, they're irrelevant in eternity. People today in the same way as in Paul's time, need that personal encounter with Jesus. When the true eternal power of Christ comes into lives, people are amazed and filled with joy, and they want to share it. Holy gossip. Let me give you one other example, and you're uh, involved in it. Uh, you planted the church in Plains, some years ago, I know, but uh, from the work that went on in Plains and then from Plains, the minister from Plains went to Harper. And my wife and I only left Harper um, nine months ago, left attending. Last Sunday morning, we went into Harper and the place was looking totally different from nine months ago. 
the area that Harper's in has lots of asylum seekers. When we were there nine months ago, there were probably a couple of handfuls of folk who were not of UK origin. But um, the place, I would say about 40% of them were folk, Afghani, people from Kabul, people coming from, you know, countries where there is Iraq, Iran, where there is persecution, and they're being saved. I mention that as an encouragement. You know, a few years ago, it's not many years ago since Harper, it looked like, you know, Harper was heading down the way, but, I mean, the Lord is using, and really, I would I mention it really as a point of encouragement to you. Sorry, I've gone off piste. Verse 9, to serve the living and the true God and turning from whatever idols they had and we have today, it's not sincere if we don't actively serve the living God. Yes, it's a turning from the values of the old life, but it's a turning to new values, values that give us freedom that we don't deserve freedom from sin and oppression, and a freedom that we can have as an immediate benefit in our spiritual lives, a benefit in our daily lives, and a benefit that's to come that's far, far greater. Verse 10, to wait for the return of the Son. Jesus is the one whom God raised from the dead, and knowing that He was raised, it helps us to know that He is returning. And we can look forward to him rescuing us from the coming wrath. That's what the verse says. He's already delivered us from our sins and the power of idols in our lives. But when he comes, he'll save us from the outpouring of God's wrath. So in summary, the reports were widespread of the Thessalonian church, the turning to God in faith, the serving of God and others in love and the patient waiting on God is hope. Faith, love, and hope. The Thessalonian message of chapter 1 is faith, love, and hope. What are the words of our gossip? What are the words of our gossip this coming week? Are they holy? For the church that receives the word must pass it on. And it's been said, no church can spread the gospel with any degree of integrity, let alone credibility, unless it's been visibly changed by the gospel it preaches. We need to look like what we're talking about. It's not enough to receive the gospel and pass it on. We need to embody it in our common life of faith, love, and hope. So to everyone here at Airdrie, I started off with a simple illustration, children pointing. Are we pointing the way to passers-by? Are they attracted to stop and look and listen as they see our lives and our thankfulness? And I pray that our holy gossip and the integrity of our lives can be pointing towards the risen Son of God, our Savior and Lord. Thank you.